You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show coming up with Gavin Walker. Right now.
We'd like to welcome you to another edition, the final one in January, of The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. And tonight on The Show, we're going to be celebrating various accomplishments by someone who you know, it's funny, um, I do get teased by some of my jazz friends. Uh, they say, oh yeah, you know, your, your show is just great, Gavin. You play all these wonderful dead guys. <laughs> so, and it, it's almost become a, a running joke, of course, because so many uh, great jazz musicians have passed on. And of course, we have the recordings, which of course uh, is keeps their music alive, which is of course the most important aspect. Uh, of these people. Uh, it's the music. And this gentleman who we're celebrating this evening is celebrating his 87th birthday today. And he not only is an incredible saxophonist, he is a composer, an arranger, and someone I think in the jazz business who is a real mentor because of his lifestyle, which is, has been right from the get-go, a lifestyle that, uh, in one word, clean. No smoking, no drugs, no dope, no booze, none of that stuff. Clean, healthy lifestyle. And there are people that think, well, a pre prerequisite to an artist sometimes is to be completely messed up and then create great art. Well, sometimes that does happen, but one can also create great art and be straight. And the jazz world is full of those people. Um, the more colorful characters, of course, have been eulogized and, and written about and biographies written and all this kind of stuff. And it's always um, interesting, sometimes very tragic, to read um, stories of, of uh, flawed human beings who were musical geniuses, uh, for instance, like Charlie Parker. But people like Benny Golson, Clifford Brown, Lou Donaldson, Horace Silver, and thousands of others uh, don't get that kind of uh, colorful sort of uh, um, uh, biographical mention. But Benny Golson has been around for a long enough time. He is still performing today. He tours all the time. Uh, he plays, and he's quite wonderful in, in person because he plays a lot of his own compositions, and he will go into a lengthy um, dialogue as to... Uh, how these compositions were written. And the thing about Benny Golson's compositions is that they have become jazz standards. Everybody plays them. And we're going to hear uh, later on in the program some, some of his compositions played by other people other than Benny Golson because they have become part of the jazz repertoire. And uh, musicians of every stripe, anybody that calls himself a jazz musician, usually plays something by Benny Golson, sometimes many compositions, because he, he was a prolific writer and still is. Benny Golson was born on this day in Philadelphia, and 
he went to high school with John Coltrane. They were, they were buddies. They used to practice together. But Benny has a very interesting style on the tenor saxophone. He is essentially his sound comes from older musicians like Lucky Thompson and Don Bias. Those were his first two inspirations musically. But, of course, Benny being a modern musician was influenced by Charlie Parker and his buddy, John Coltrane. They exchanged lots of ideas. So Benny's style is kind of an amalgam of modern harmonic thinking, but he has that rich, older sound, which typified the sound of the tenor saxophone. And, of course, that sound was, as I said, inspired by people like Don Bias and especially Lucky Thompson. So Golson created by his saxophone style a, a very unique way of playing, and he's always sounded like himself. I remember when he played here at the Cellar in, in Vancouver, um, he did a one-nighter here, and it was really a treat uh, to not only hear his stories but, but to um, hang out with Benny and, and, and talk to him. And I, I said, man, you know, I haven't heard you in person for, for many years, but I have so many of your albums. I said, you sound exactly the same. He said, come here, come here, come here, come here. And he, he grabbed my hand, and he took me into the little back room that uh, it's not really a dressing room, but it was Corey's, Corey Weed's office. And he took me into the back room, and he says, here, look at this. And he, showed, he pointed at the mouthpiece of a saxophone. He said, you see this mouthpiece? He said, this is the mouthpiece that I've used all my life. And he said, some saxophone players, he said, well, like my friend John Coltrane, used to go through mouthpieces all the time, changing them and moving them around and buying new ones and going to pawn shops and stuff. He said, I've just played this one, uh, the same one. I found it. It felt good. It got what I wanted out of the horn, uh, the flexibility. I've been playing it ever since. And I don't, I'm, I'm not about to change at my age. He said, so maybe that's, that goes along with what you're saying, that I sound very much the same as I did in, in, in the 1950s. My sound hasn't changed at all, and, and he attributed it to his, uh, to his particular mouthpiece that he used on the, uh, on the saxophone. Anyway, that was part of a very interesting evening that I spent with Mr. Golson, but he is um, a very accommodating individual, answers any question, um, there was supposed to be a book that he was writing that was um, supposed to, to be published. I have not heard anything about this book um, in, recently. I hope it does come out eventually uh, because it will prove to be a very, very interesting one. Benny Golson lived through the golden era of recording, of jazz, and uh, played with uh, Dizzy Gillespie's big band in the mid-50s played with Clifford Brown, of course, in Tad Dameron's band. But he really developed when he went into and joined Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. And initially he joined the band on a temporary basis. He was only substituting for someone else. But he and Blakey got very tight. And, and Art said, you know, I should, be, I should be making more. This band should be much more. What should I do? And Benny looked at him and said, I don't mean to be push, pushy, Art, 
but you should fire all these guys. I've got some people that I can bring into the band right now. So <laughs> immediately Art Blake he's, uh, was a little bit offended, but then he said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll break the band up. I'll, I'll do what you want. And Benny Golson picked all musicians from Philadelphia. <laughs> Blakey was from Pittsburgh, and he, he said, this is a conspiracy. But the musicians that Benny Golson picked were Lee Morgan on trumpet, who was the, the teenage wonder, the great Bobby Timmons on piano, and one of the strongest and un, most unheralded bass players in the business, Jimmy Merritt. And they were all from Philadelphia, and they were all associates of Benny Golson. And they formed what was going to be the beginning of Art Blakey's greatest jazz messengers. And this all took place in about 1958. Uh, it's not that Blakey was leading terrible bands before that, but suddenly there was a chemistry in the band, and it was all due to Benny Golson and, and his um, little bit of pushiness uh, uh, with Art Blakey. Then they made a recording uh, with that band before they went on a tour of Europe. And, of course, uh, um, that was the beginning of Art Blakey's real ascent. He'd been around for a long time, but the Messengers all of a sudden became one of the most important bands in the business, and it was all due to the organizational power of the great Benny Golson. He only remained in the band for about six months. He had other things to do. He wanted other things to do, so he, he left the band after six months, and Wayne Shorter came in to take his place. There were a couple of temporary saxophone players, and then Wayne Shorter came in, and of course the, the band was already, by that time on its way. But Golson really left a legacy. After Blakey, he went on to form a great, wonderful band called the Jazz Tet with um, trumpeter Art Farmer, and that was a very productive period in Benny's life. And then all of a sudden, one day, he stopped playing the saxophone. He put it in the closet, hung it up, and didn't touch it for many, many years because he decided that he was going to do more writing. And that's what he did. And um, he um, went over to Europe for a while, wrote for a big band over there, came back, moved to California, and began writing music for uh, uh, television. And Mission Impossible was one of the, he did, he did music for that, did music for tons of shows, and eventually got back into, into playing. Uh, picked up his horn again after about an eight-year layoff and, uh, and began playing again and has never stopped since. So that's a, a little bit of uh, the background of, of Benny Golson. He's, he's one of the most important jazz musicians. And the beauty of it is that he is still alive, healthy, and well today and playing. So we're going to get to a, an album that I decided to pick. This features not necessarily his compositions, although there's a, a couple of pieces that he wrote on here, um, but it features his saxophone playing in a quartet setting. So you're getting pure Benny Golson. You're getting that beautiful sound. This recording was made um, in December of 1962, and the album was called Free. 
Now, this doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean that it's, um, Benny Golson isn't that type of musician. This is not free jazz, free forum jazz, avant-garde jazz. No, no, nothing like that. By the word free, he meant that he was free of playing arrangements. He was the only horn in front of a quartet, and that's, that's freedom for, for um, a good uh, soloist. And um, the, there's the very, very little arrangements here. It's this straight-ahead uh, blowing date and, and demonstrates Benny Golson's mastery of the jazz idiom. This is a wonderful quartet that he put together, and it was recorded um, for Argo Records, um, a label out of Chicago, but it was recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's studio in uh, um, Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. December 28th, or December 26th, 1962, Boxing Day, uh, our Boxing Day. It's not a holiday in the States, though. It, the day after Christmas. So everyone was pretty happy and healthy and uh, ready to play. And we, we're going to hear Benny Golson on tenor saxophone with the great poet of the piano, Tommy Flanagan, on bass, a then newcomer to the scene. And from his playing on these early recordings, we all knew that he was going to become one of the greatest bass players in all of jazz music. I'm talking about Ron Carter on bass. And, of course, one of the most well and frequently recorded drummers in New York, the great New York drummer, Arthur Taylor. So that's the quartet, Golson, Flanagan, Carter, and Taylor, and uh, six tunes on this album. And uh, they all stretch out and let, uh, let the soloists have their, have their time. And we hear prime Benny Golson on this recording. This is one of the reasons I, I picked it to emphasize his solo capabilities. We open with a piece. We're going to run down the tunes before we hear it. We open with an interesting piece. I like this piece a lot. It was written by a Detroit pianist who should be better known. His name is Will Davis, and it's called simply Sok Cha. <laughs> That's the name of the tune, and uh, it's, it's a very neat piece of music. The second tune is Noel Coward's great ballad called Mad About the Boy, and it's a beautiful song, and a very good friend of mine who lived here, we were very close at one time, uh, lived here in Vancouver, and a saxophone player that I really admired on our local scene was a good friend of mine named uh, Dick Smith, and Dick mentioned this version of Mad About the Boy. He said, the tune is so great, but he said, that's the best ballad performance I have ever heard on records. And at the time, I hadn't heard this record, and it was Dick that kind of pointed this album out to me. And um, so I think about, every time I hear this tune, I think about Dick Smith, um, because this was his favorite ballad performance. The second tune, Mad About the Boy by Noel Coward. Tune number three is a Benny Golson original called Just By Myself. And it, it's typical melodic um, um, Golson tune. Wonderful. Uh, tune number four is another Benny Golson original called Shades of Stein. And it was uh, inspired by the great writer Gertrude Stein. That's, there it is. Um, tune number five is the Rodgers and Hart standard called My Romance, 
And tune number six, the final tune, is written by Frank Novak, and it's called Just in Time. And that was a tune that uh, Frank Sinatra sang and put on the map. Great tune. So that's the album. This is our jazz feature. This is the beginning of our jazz feature and tribute to 87-year-old Benny Golson, born this day in 1929, and he's still here. So sit back and enjoy it. We begin with Sock Cha. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
Thank you. 
that was a it seemed to be over uh, far too soon and we heard a wonderful album called free and of course it, it was free in the sense that it offered the gentleman we're paying tribute to this evening Benny Golson uh, freedom to play in front of a quartet which is I think an ideal way for a horn player because uh, you don't have to worry about another horn harmonizing or anything like that you can play melodies uh, the way you want to play them and um, you are in a sense quite free and I think that was the point of um, titling the album free it didn't mean that uh, the musicians were playing free forum jazz or anything like that or avant-garde or whatever you want to call that um, but it was um, more free than uh, a lot of Benny Golson's albums because uh, he usually writes uh, elaborate arrangements and um, more ensemble work all that kind of stuff and and also prefers um, on most of his recordings to work with uh, one or two other horns as well. This is Benny Golson unfettered and celebrating today his 87th birthday. And Mr. Golson is still very active, touring, teaching, and uh, telling people about the great history of this music. And uh, just a, a wonderful person and uh, a real positive influence on just about everybody, not only musicians from his generation, but young musicians coming up. Mr. Golson is really an inspiration. So this wonderful album was recorded on December 26, 1962. Yeah, well, Boxing Day for us, but uh, it's not a holiday in the States. It's the day after Christmas, that's it. <laughs> anyway, they were all in good form, and... and um, we heard uh, Benny Golson perform with the, the great poet of the piano, Tommy Flanagan, and the one surviving, well, the, the two surviving members, Mr. Golson and bassist Ron Carter. And this is very early Ron Carter, and of course he was proving right here on this recording that he was going to become one of the finest and most influential bassists of all times. And uh, we all knew that when we first heard him. And uh, on drums, of course, one of the most uh, widely recorded drummers. Um, he's on so many recordings, and you can see why. Very tasteful, clear, clean, and he swings like mad. Arthur Taylor on drums, the great New York drummer. So we heard a series of tunes. This album was originally issued on a Chicago label, uh, Argo Records, and we heard six tunes. And we open with a kind of an eccentric tune written by um, an obscure Detroit pianist who should have been much better known. And he gave this tune to Benny Golson to record. And the pianist's name is Will Davis, and he is a, a legendary Detroit musician. Never really got out of Detroit, so he, he didn't record very much. But he wrote the opening tune here in a very intriguing title. It's called Sock Cha. And the second tune was uh, a wonderful ballad, not often played by uh, musicians. Um, the title is Mad About the Boy, and it was written by Noel Coward. And that was tune number two. 
Tune number three was an up-tempo version of a Benny Golson original called Just By Myself. And tune number four was another Golson original called Shades of Stein, dedicated to the great uh, author Gertrude Stein. And then we heard a beautiful ballad, Rogers and Hearts, My Romance. And the final tune, again, was a jaunty and happy version of Frank Novak's great tune, Just In Time. So that's it, our jazz feature this evening. We're not finished with Benny Golson. We're going to be playing a whole array of his compositions, but by other people. And uh, we're going to begin in a few moments, but uh, we'd like to tell you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. And we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. And we're going to be right back with some Benny Golson compositions, including the very first composition that he wrote. And it became an instant jazz standard. We'll tell you more about it right after these messages. Let's listen in as one poor soul tries to find something good to enjoy on the radio. Let's see here, uh... Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody... God, this is awful. Well, I climbed up the mountain, climbed back down again for you. I climbed up the mountain again for you, and then I climbed back down, climbed up... Isn't there anything, 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 anything? Listening to the radio these days can be distressing. Fortunately, here at CITR, our programmers choose the music that they play, so our charts reflect what people actually listen to. To find out what's really topping the charts, pick up a copy of Discorder magazine, or check us out online at citr.ca. Unless, of course, you'd rather keep listening to the chart-topping single, Everybody Dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody dance. Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. We're going to turn now to Benny Golson's compositions. There's an interesting story behind this one. As a matter of fact, when Benny played this, when he visited the Corey Weeds uh, Cellar Jazz Club uh, a few years ago, he played this tune and he told the story of how he he wrote it. He had written, by this time, he had written a number of tunes, but he threw a lot of them in the garbage can. And 
because he, he, he would play them over on the piano or play them on his saxophone and said, yeah, th- these tunes are no good, and, and, and dump them all in a, <laughs> in a big garbage can, waste paper basket. And, but he, did, he was intrigued with this one, and so he um, was practicing one afternoon with his friend John Coltrane, and he said to Coltrane, he says, you know, he said, I know you, that, that you're just starting a, a gig with Miles Davis, because uh, Coltrane had just been hired by Miles Davis to, uh, 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 to complete uh, his first great quintet. And Coltrane was hired because um, Sonny Rollins was not ready to join Miles. And Philly Joe Jones, who was Miles' drummer, suggested Coltrane. And Miles was initially a little reluctant, but then Philly Joe, of course, being a very persuasive person, talked Miles Davis into hiring John Coltrane, and Coltrane got the job. So Golson and Coltrane are practicing on their horns and, and, and um, having a little chat. And Benny said, you know, I've, I've written this tune. I kind of like it. Do you think, do you think you could give it to Miles Davis that he might be interested in either playing it? And I know you guys have got your first record coming up. Do you think he'd be interested in maybe even recording it? And Coltrane took a look at the tune and, and, and read it and, and went, you know, this is kind of a nice tune. Sure, I'll take it to Miles, and I'll, I'll, I'll give it a boost and see what he says. You know, I, I can't guarantee anything, but I'll take it. Miles is always looking for new, new stuff uh, to add to the repertoire. I'll take this. This looks good. It's in a damn tough key, too. But that's good because Miles likes challenges. And uh, it looks like something that I could learn, too. So Coltrane took the tune to Miles Davis. And about two months later, after the formation of the quintet and some gigs, Coltrane gave Benny Golson a phone call and said, you know, we've been playing your tune. Miles likes it, and we're going to use it on the first record that we're going to do for Prestige Records. And we're going to hear it right now on The Jazz Show. The tune became an instant jazz standard. And even though it's challenging to play, people, everybody learned this tune, had to learn this tune, because it was so popular and became instantly a part of the jazz repertoire and established Benny Golson as a very formidable composer. And, of course, Miles Davis certainly enjoyed playing it. So this is the very first album by... Miles' first great quintet, and they're going to play this Golson composition. As a matter of fact, we're going to listen to two versions of the tune. The first by the first great quintet with Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, the guy who persuaded Miles to, to, to do the tune. Uh, John Coltrane, uh, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. And the second version... Interestingly enough, features Philly Joe Jones again on drums, but this time the tune is going to be played 
by Milt Jackson on vibes and co-leader Wes Montgomery on guitar with Wynton Kelly on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Mr. Jones on drums. So we're going to hear two versions of Benny Golson's It Has Remained His Most Famous Composition, his first and his most famous stablemates. Here then is the Miles Davis Quintet to do the very first version of this tune. Thank <laughs> you. 
We heard two versions of Benny Golson's great composition, his first ever published, called Stablemates, and it became a jazz standard and ended up being played by just about every, every jazz band in existence. And we heard the very first recorded version. I told you the story of how John Coltrane presented the tune to Miles, and Miles Davis liked it and decided to record it on his first album featuring the first great quintet that Miles did for Prestige Records. And so we heard the initial version of the tune by Miles Davis. Stablemates, Miles on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. Then from, and that was recorded in November of 1955, we moved to December 1961 for Riverside Records and from a famous album called Bags Meets Wes. And of course it featured the great Mill Jackson on vibes and Wes Montgomery on guitar with this stellar rhythm section of Wynton Kelly on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and once again, Philly Joe Jones on drums. And we heard their version of Stablemates, which of course was, uh, by that time, the tune had become such a, a standard, and uh, these musicians were able to take it uh, at a much faster tempo and just play through all the the complexities of the tune. It's not an easy tune to play or learn, but once you get it down, then it's easy. It's like anything else, right? Stablemates. And I think, you know, I said that Stablemates was maybe his first uh, and most famous composition. I might err at this one because the tune that we're going to hear now is a ballad. And this is probably his most, Benny Golson's most famous composition. It's a very beautiful, we're going to hear a beautiful interpretation of the tune. And he wrote it, and he often tells the story in front, in front of a live audience, uh, what happened and how he um, went about recording it. He was touring at the time with Dizzy Gillespie's band. They were on the road, and they heard the sad news that trumpeter Clifford Brown was killed in a car crash. And Clifford Brown was one of the most respected and loved musicians of his era. He was only 26. Um, he was considered the finest trumpeter in modern jazz. And he was no more. And accidental death on the road. And Benny Golson was very moved. And he locked himself. He was so upset because he knew Clifford very well. And he locked himself into his hotel room and wrote this tune with tears in his eyes and dedicated it to Clifford Brown. And indeed, I think this is probably Benny Golson's, not only his most memorable composition, but his best-known composition. So we're going to hear a beautiful version of this tune, a very heartfelt version recorded by one of my all-time favorite tenor saxophonists, the late, great J.R. Monterose, with Tommy Flanagan on piano, who we heard uh, playing with Benny Golson, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Pete LaRocca on drums. And this is I Remember Clifford. Um. 
tenor saxophonist J.R. Montrose, one of my personal favorites and uh, such a beautiful player and respectfully playing Benny Golson's great melody dedicated to the late, great Clifford Brown. I remember Clifford. And J.R. was accompanied by Tommy Flanagan on piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Pete LaRocca on drums. We're going to turn now to Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, but not the edition that Benny Golson was playing in. I mentioned that he was with Blakey um, beginning in very late 1958 and stayed in Blakey's band for about six months, but influenced not only who Blakey hired in the band, but contributed to Art Blakey's repertoire and added so many tunes, and Blakey played Benny Golson's tunes right up till his dying day. They were always an integral part of any edition of the Jazz Messengers were tunes by Benny Golson. We're going to hear two of them and two compositions by Benny Golson, but played by this rather rare edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, recorded in Tokyo in February of 1970. And we hear, of course, Art Blakey on drums, and someone who was in the Messengers off and on from the 1950s, a great trumpeter who to this day is, is most underrated, Bill Hardman on trumpet. On tenor saxophone from Panama, wonderful player and, a, and an adventurous player too, Carlos Garnett on tenor saxophone. And the first female to play in Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers is on piano. Her name, Joanne Brackeen. And on bass, a European bass player that was in the band for a while, Jan Arnett, or Jan Arnett, on bass. So that's the personnel. We're going to hear these two tunes, two of Benny Golson's most famous compositions. The first one is called The Blues March. And even though this was a a modern Uh, jazz composition, it kind of harkened back to the very, very beginnings of jazz music from New Orleans when jazz music evolved from a lot of march music. They played at funerals and stuff like that. So this was kind of a throwback to that, and yet it had a very modern connotation. So Blues March by Benny Golson, and the second tune is one of his melodic beauties, a tune called Whisper Not. Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, Vintage, 1970.
Two tunes by this uh, rare edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. They only made this one album, and it was only issued in Japan, so pretty hard to uh, find. And it was recorded in February of 1970 when they were over there, and it featured, of course, Art Blakey on drums and uh, a veteran of several editions of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, trumpeter Bill Hardman, originally from Cleveland, Ohio, and one of the great trumpet players who is uh, not often uh, often overlooked, sad, sad to say. Very respected musician. On tenor saxophone from Panama, Carlos Garnett. And very, uh, very fine player. And on piano, the first lady to play with Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, Joanne Brackeen on piano, and Jan Arnett on bass. And uh, this version recorded two... Benny Golson compositions that were decided to play. There are two that were in um, Blakey's repertoire from the time they were written by Benny Golson to the time Art Blakey passed away. And uh, so many Golson tunes were played by various editions of the Jazz Messengers, and this edition was no exception. So we heard the very famous Golson composition called Blues March, and we followed that with one of his melodic beauties, the tune called Whisper Not. Our final two Benny Golson compositions are a little more obscure, but they're from a very fine album by trumpeter Blue Mitchell, and he decided to uh, play two Benny Golson compositions with his band, uh, as it was on this album. And we're going to hear Blue on trumpet with Curtis Fuller on trombone, and little Jimmy Heath on tenor saxophone, and this powerhouse rhythm section, Winton Kelly on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Philly Joe Jones, no relation, on drums. And we're going to hear two Golson compositions that uh, he wrote uh, specifically for this uh, record date. Blue Mitchell was a fan of Benny's and asked him to write a couple of tunes so that he could include them on the date, and they're two charming tunes. The well, one one is very charming, uh, which will be the final tune, and the first one is um, uh, an up-tempo thing, and it's called Minor Vamp, very exciting piece of music and features some incredible drumming by the one and only Philly Joe Jones. And the second tune is a really fine and lyrical and pretty Benny Golson composition, it should be played more often. It's very beautiful. I lo I've always loved this tune. It's called Park Avenue Petite. So two tunes concluding our tribute to Benny Golson and two of his very fine compositions. So here we go, beginning with Minor Vamp.
Sorry for the uh, abrupt ending <laughs> on that. I just I cut the player uh, just before the the final notes, uh, beautiful notes uh, on the tune. But you heard the uh, you heard most of it, and uh, as a matter of fact, you heard all, almost all of it except for just a, a single chord at the end. Anyway, that was uh, our conclusion to our tribute to the great Benny Golson, and we played a whole series of his um, compositions including uh, these final two that we heard, uh, played by a sextet led by trumpeter Blue Mitchell from a a well-known album entitled Blue Soul. And that came out on Riverside Records. And Blue, um, this was his, I I believe, his second album for, um, second or third album for um, Riverside Records. Yeah, third album, I believe. And uh, he asked Benny Golson to contribute a couple of tunes to the date. And, of course, Golson, being a prolific composer, uh, said, sure, and wrote these two beautiful tunes, um, well, one exciting tune and one beautiful tune um, for the um, this recording. And uh, the band played it beautifully. Blue Mitchell on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Jimmy Heath on tenor saxophone, Winton Kelly on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. And we heard the first tune was entitled Minor Vamp, featured some uh, really great drumming by Philly Joe. And uh, the second tune, a very beautiful piece of music that should be played more often called Park Avenue Petite. And so ends our lengthy tribute this evening to one of the great jazz musicians in history who is, uh, I'm so happy to say, is still alive, healthy, well, and playing. He's 87 years old today, and we celebrated the music, uh, not only the tenor saxophone playing, but the compositions of the one and only Benny Golson, born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, this day in 1929. Happy 87th birthday, Benny, and may you live a long, longer life and uh, contribute more to the jazz scene all over the world. All right, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we are going to continue. Uh, I'd just like to tell you just a couple of things um, before we get into our next segment, which is actually going to be a CBC broadcast recording, but very rare. And uh, we'll tell you more about that in, uh, in a few moments. But um, I'd just like to mention a couple of websites that I, I usually always mention, just as a reminder to people to get onto these websites because they're very informative. And the first one I mention, of course, is very important, very contemporary, and very up-to-date, and you can do all kinds of great stuff on that website, and that's the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. These folks never sleep. They are the um, overseers of uh, a great uh, jazz club downtown called Frankie's on uh, BD Street, Frankie's Italian Kitchen. They've been, um, the music there is, is curated by the great Corey Weeds, and of course he appears there with, uh, with various bands. Now, if you go onto the website, the, the overseers of uh, Frankie's and, and so on, and, and the people that 
Um, it, it really helps advertising the club because coastal jazz has a very, very broad base of people that they can communicate with. Um, so the publicity is, is always on top. And if you go onto the Coastal Jazz website, you'll find out uh, who's playing what and when at Frankie's and um, what times and all that kind of stuff. It's all on there. And you can make reservations on the site. So it's, it's user-friendly, and you can get around. It's very, very informative. They not only have uh, up-and-coming concerts, the Winteruption Festival next month in February, but um, the schedule at Frankie's and different other events that are produced by Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. So uh, it's a really, really comprehensive website. Get onto it. It's coastaljazz.ca. That's what it is, coastaljazz.ca. The other fine website is uh, Brian Nation's website, which is vancouverjazz.com. And that is also a very comprehensive website. Uh, they have uh, musicians' biographies and uh, uh, all kinds of links on that site. It's very interesting and, and, and always worth um, a gander uh, to browse around and see what's up and that sort of thing. Two important websites, coastaljazz.ca and vancouverjazz.com. The other thing I would like to mention has nothing to do with websites, but has to do with actually playing an instrument. And I always talk about my good friend Ken Speller, who uh, I admire greatly. He's, uh, he's a man for all seasons. Not only is he a fine musician, saxophone player, flute player, clarinet player, very, very highly trained musician. He's also a great music teacher, and he has a business called Music at Home. And he will come to your house and teach you how to play. And if you're a professional that needs kind of um, maybe some new stuff to think about, or um, a talented amateur, or a beginner, or a music student, any level, Ken will do it. And uh, he will advise you on what instrument to buy, the, 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 the brands, the, the, good, the good ones, the cheaper ones, all that kind of stuff. So um, he can give you a whole comprehensive uh, viewpoint on what to do um, to enhance your musical talents. But he also, not only that, um, with his uh, uh, music at home, he repairs musical instruments and uh, complicated instruments like saxophones and clarinets and flutes. They all have uh, uh, myriads of working parts and uh, just like a car, these instruments need uh, tuning up. And uh, sometimes it's just a tweak. Sometimes it's a complete overhaul. And um, instruments wear out just like, <laughs> just like people do, just like cars do, just like any machine does. And uh, Ken will fix them up and make them sound like new and make you sound as best as you can. So this is very important. And he does it at a very reasonable cost because he, his workshop is right in his home, which is at, in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. He's easy to get to, and uh, he does these great repairs and charges very reasonable rates because of his uh, situation. So he can be reached at 778-1933. That's 
Sorry, 778-800-1933. I repeat, 778-800-1933. And his email is kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. So that's the way to reach him. Ask questions, find out. He's... um, He'll be able to communicate with you. All right. Back to music. And this is very interesting. We're going to hear the plummy voice (laughs) of Telford Oliver, who was a legendary CBC announcer. And back in the day, um, CBC announcers, especially guys like who, who did this kind of stuff, very formal. Their diction was perfect. No grammatical errors. Um, quite, uh, well, you know, we, we think of those announcers as being a little stiff today, but the CBC had very, very high standards at that time, and you, re- you really had to adhere to all this stuff. If you pronounced uh, something uh, a little off or, or used uh, an accent that, that was even vaguely American, um, they, they would tell you, no, 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 you've got to say it differently. <laughs> you have to say it differently. Uh, that's not the proper way. Anyway... Uh, that, that being said, Telford Oliver was one of the great pros and also a jazz fan from what I understand. This goes back to 1963 at CBC Studios when they were located in the Vancouver Hotel and uh, for years. And this features the great trombonist J.J. Johnson, who celebrated a birthday just recently. And he's going to perform some tunes here with the legendary Vancouver pianist who died in 1964, one of our greatest musicians that this city ever produced, Chris Gage on piano. And my dear friend, one of my closest friends, and I miss him dearly, the late, great Paul Ruland on bass. And on drums, Al Johnson. We're going to hear um, Telford Oliver bring in the the band, and then we're going to hear J.J. play um, a great learner in low tune, called Almost Like Being in Love. Then we're going to move to uh, Autumn Leaves, uh, the tune Autumn Leaves. And um, we'll hear Telford Oliver announce the, announce the tunes and in- introduce the band in that typical CBC fashion uh, back in, uh, in the 60s. So this is a, a, a rare recording. There's a few pops and scratches and stuff like that from this recording because it was taken from uh, a rather worn-out uh, album and it was uh, it was actually given to me by Paul Ruland and I I made a copy of the album so that I could play it for you. So we take you back Vancouver, August 1963, and trombonist J J Johnson. Here's Telford Oliver to introduce the band. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation presents jazz from the West Coast. And on this program, the featured artist is the noted American jazz trombonist, J.J. Johnson, who performs with an accompanying trio of Vancouver musicians, Chris Gage, Al Johnson, and Paul Rulin. J.J. Johnson. Thank you. 
From Canada's west coast, you're hearing the American trombonist, J.J. Johnson. This program, a studio recording, was made shortly after the close of the 1963 Vancouver Jazz Festival. The accompanying musicians are Chris Gage Piano, Paul Rulon Bass, and Al Johnson Drums. J.J. Johnson is performing four standards in the half hour, and the second of these, after that rapid improvisation on It's Almost Like Being in Love, is in contrast, Autumn Leaves. Thank you. 
Well, despite the uh, few skips and pops and that sort of thing, that's uh, that's what we have. <laughs> Unfortunately, that they never digital uh, made that recording into a digital one. And uh, a number of years ago, I was able to make a copy from uh, Paul Ruin's uh, beaten-up um, copy of a CBC recording. And uh, this is all we have of this uh, great session. I don't know whether it's somewhere in the CBC archives. They, they've gotten rid of a lot of stuff, so who knows. It should be because it's a great uh, uh, session and the music is, is really fine. And uh, we heard the bulk of it despite the odd skip and pop. 
Uh, J.J. Johnson, of course, on trombone with the great legendary Chris Gage on piano, one of the finest musicians that this city ever produced. And, of course, my good friend Paul Ruland on bass, the late, great Paul Ruland, and the late Al Johnson on drums. J.J. Uh, Johnson, just uh, on the 22nd of January, just celebrated a birthday anniversary as well. So this was recorded um, at the old CBC studios in the Vancouver Hotel in August of 1963. And the CBC announcer here was uh, Telford Oliver, uh, very lucid, uh, plummy tones. And he introduced the, a tune, the first tune, which was almost like Being in Love by Lerner Lowe, and then introduced the band and the final tune, Autumn Leaves. And J.J. Uh, Johnson in great form. And I remember Paul Rulin telling me that they were really scared and nervous. They didn't know what J.J. was like and what he was going to come up with or what, what he would throw at the band and that sort of thing. And, and he was just the easiest going person. And they completely relaxed. And J.J. just said, we're just going to play tunes that we're all familiar with and we'll just go for it because that's what jazz is all about. And... Um, you know, J.J. was capable of, of writing some very complex music, and he did in his time, but uh, he just wanted to blow his horn, and he certainly did, and relaxed all the musicians. And he was very, very pleased with um, playing with all these Vancouver-based musicians who he had never worked with before. So um, this was a treat for them and a treat for him, too. So I hope you enjoyed those two tunes, J.J. Johnson. We'll be back in a few moments with uh, some music by a couple of incredible baritone saxophone players. We'll tell you more about that in a few moments. Just like to remind you, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, broadcasting right out here at the campus of the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. We'll be back in a second. For over 30 years, there has been one voice in the local Vancouver art scene that has stood above the rest, and that's Discorder, that conspiracy, punk rock, foxcore, sassy, still-publishing magazine from CITR. We're one of the established and trusted voices of Vancouver's music and arts culture in the Lower Mainland, with 8,000 copies distributed monthly to over 135 distribution locations, from the Lido to Zulu Records. Discorder is one of a few magazines published by a community radio station, and we only serve up the freshest local and Canadian goods. We have interviews with artists, album reviews, live show reviews, and articles about everything important to our crazy, unique, varied, and amazing culture in Vancouver and across the country. Pick up your free copy of Discorder today or sign up to have it delivered to your door wherever you are. Check out our website for distribution locations and all the information about advertising and getting involved. Celebrate the Year of the Monkey at the largest Lunar New Year event in UBC history. The UBC Centennial Lunar New Year Festival takes place February 5th from 12 to 5 at the Nest. Celebrate at this free event with food, games, arts and crafts, music and dance performances for people of all ages. Learn more at diversity.ubc.ca.
Well, we're just going to have a quick look at the weather. Yeah, <laughs> the weather. Uh, yes, well, it's January. Uh, it's actually warming up. The days are getting longer, you know, but we're going to get, uh, it looks like the week, the final week in January is going to be a rainy final week. Well, better than what they had back east with uh, Snowzilla. Um, <laughs> that was pretty devastating to the whole eastern seaboard, New York City, all the way down the coast. And they're still digging out from it. And, of course, you know, people have died and all, all kinds of horrible stuff. And pictures are incredible. Cars being buried and uh, road accidents, all that kind of stuff. We're pretty lucky. We just get rain out here. And if we, wanna, if we want snow, then we, we can go pretty close to where the snow is, up the mountains. And that's where it should stay. Tonight's cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower overnight, a little bit windy with a low of 7. Rain is going to end near noon tomorrow on Tuesday, and then it'll stay cloudy with a 40% chance of uh, showers off and on. A little bit windy with a high of 9. And then Wednesday is rain. Thursday is rain. Friday is less rain. It's called showers. Temperatures between 7 and 10. So it is getting a little warmer. And then Saturday will be, Saturday and Sunday will be cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower. A little cooler. Lows between 2 and 8. So there you go. Not much variation in the weather. But um, not a great deal of sunshine either. Maybe just sunshine in your soul, you know. That sort of thing. Just keep the sunshine. Take a lot of vitamin D. That's what you got to do um, because uh, we lack that sunshine in January. So vitamin D is good. more the merrier. This is an incredible recording called Baritone Madness, and it features two of the greatest baritone saxophonists, both unfortunately departed, but their music is still with us. The first one is lesser known. He's an upstate New York guy, um, Italian. There were lots of great uh, musicians from upstate New York that formed uh, almost the Italian Jazz Brigade. And this is Nick Brignola. And Nick Brignola on baritone saxophone with one of the most famous and one of the most wonderful baritone saxophonists, Pepper Adams. Pepper was a good friend of mine and wonderful musician with a great sense of humor. Um, and uh, I remember him telling me about this recording. He, um, he, said, he said the music on it was pretty good, but he said he didn't like the idea of competing with another baritone saxophonist. He said, you know, that's, that, that seemed a little bit forced. But he said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I, he said, I think we both played our best. And, of course, I think you'll agree when you hear these two uh, great baritone saxophonists go at it. And in between them is another person who was a friend of mine, and I miss him too. He was a real character, Ted Curson, on trumpet. On piano, originally from England, Derek Smith, very fine pianist, and another um, transplanted Englishman, Dave Holland, on bass. And on drums, the dynamic and incredible and still alive, there's a jazz master who is still with us and still playing, Roy Haynes on drums. We're going to hear two tunes. Um, We're going to hear the 
opening track, which is absolutely sensational. It's a tune written by Charlie Parker, and it's called Donna Lee, and it's a finger buster. And then we're going to hear another Charlie Parker composition, which isn't often played and should be played more. I've always liked this tune. It's called Marmaduke. So Donna Lee and Marmaduke by this incredible band, Pepper Adams, Nick Bignola, Ted Curson, and company. So look out. Here is Donna Lee. Thank you. 
so there. <laughs> All right. That was from an album called Baritone Madness. Baritone Madness. Yes, two of the greatest exponents of the baritone saxophone and the most declarative players, Nick McBrignola um, and Pepper Adams on Barry's with uh, Derek Smith on piano, Dave Holland on bass, and Roy Haynes on drums. The first tune we heard was, of course, Charlie Parker's finger buster, Donna Lee, played uh, at an incredible tempo, and they maintained the energy on that tune, just a, a thousand notes a second. And the second tune was one of my favorite Parker originals, which is rarely played. Uh, it's, uh, it's got a charming melodic twist to it. And uh, it's entitled Marmaduke. And that featured um, both baritone saxophonist, Nick, Nick Brignola being the first soloist, and then Ted Curson added on trumpet uh, to the band. And then Pepper Adams took the second baritone solo on that piece. And uh, a really fine version of that rarely played Parker tune, Marmaduke. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue. We're going to uh, turn things over to a wonderful guitar player who um, actually made a lot of records, but um, he's kind of overlooked today. I think he's a superb uh, guitar player. His name is Sal Salvador, and we're going to hear him here with Dr. Billy Taylor at the piano, Art Davis, Arthur Davis on bass, and Joe Morello on drums. And uh, they're going to play a Horace Silver tune for you, entitled Opus Defunc, and um, I think this is the first time we've heard Sal Salvador on the jazz show, and it won't be the last. So here he is with Opus Defunc, Sal Salvador.
That was the great guitarist Sal Salvador playing a Horace Silver composition based on the blues entitled Opus de Funk. And we heard Sal with Billy Taylor, Dr. Billy Taylor at the piano, Art Davis on bass, and Joe Morello on drums. Opus de Funk. Yeah, that's a um, wonderful guitar player. We're going to turn things over to... Um, to pianist Ronnie Matthews for a couple of tunes from an album called Roots, Branches, and Dances. And uh, this was recorded in 1978 and features uh, Frank Foster on saxophones, either soprano or tenor, and Ronnie Matthews, the leader on piano, and my good friend Ray Drummond on bass, and Al Foster on drums, and on, maybe on these tunes, um, we might be hearing Azedin Weston, uh, Randy Weston's son on conga drums. We're going to hear two tunes. Uh, the first one is a Ronnie Matthews composition called Thu's Blues. Thu's, of course, short for Matthews, right? Thu's Blues. And we're going to follow that with a Ray Drummond uh, composition, a very charming piece of music called Susanita. And, uh, yeah, Ronnie Matthews, one of those uh, wonderful piano players who was on lots of albums um, and one of those overlooked musicians. And he didn't do too many albums as a leader. This is one of them and a good one, too. So I hope you enjoy these two tunes.
Some nice stuff by Ronnie Matthews, wonderful pianist, underrated. And uh, Ronnie passed away a few years ago. Played with everybody, Dexter Gordon, all kinds of people. And a very, very fine musician. And uh, one of his few albums uh, that he did under his own name, this is Roots, Branches, and Dances, is the title of the album. And it featured the great Frank Foster on tenor saxophone, Ronnie, of course, leading the band on piano, my good friend Ray Drummond on bass, and Al Foster on drums, and some nice conga work by Azedin Weston, Randy Weston's son. We heard two tunes. Um, first tune was uh, a blues called Thu's Blues, written by Ronnie Matthews, and the second tune, a uh, Latin-flavored uh, melodic thing written by Ray Drummond, entitled Susanita. A couple of uh, really fine tracks. We're going to end the show this evening. And I'd just like to remind you that uh, next week, of course, is the beginning of February. And February, as everyone knows, is Black History Month. We have a whole slew of jazz features for Black History Month that will have some relevance to that particular month, which honors people of color in Canada, the United States, and everywhere. Black History Month. A very good friend of mine who is uh, a black Canadian, he said, yeah, he said, this is pretty good. He says, they give us the shortest damn month of the year to honor our legacy. But I guess we have to... <laughs> We have to take what we get. Anyway, that was, that was his response. And, uh, of course, he said it with a big smile on his face. But there you go. Anyway, February is Black History Month, and our jazz features will reflect that. And um, you'll hear what they are uh, when, we, when we get into the month of February. So stay tuned for that. That will be happening starting next week. All right. So we're going to end the show. We're going to return to a piece of uh, a composition that we heard another version of. This time, we're going to close with yet another version of Benny Golson's famous Blues March. And, of course, we, the first part of our program was dedicated to the music of the tenor saxophone playing and the compositions of the great Benny Golson, whose 87th birthday was yesterday. January 25th. So this is a version of Blues March, um, and it's uh, uh, from an album called Big Six, led by trumpeter Blue Mitchell. It features Curtis Fuller on trombone and a very outgoing Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone. And um, I think Griffin was pretty well-oiled on this session and uh, obviously having a good time and very exuberant. Yes, the little giant. On piano, the wonderful Winton Kelly. On bass, the legendary Chicagoan Wilbur Ware. And on drums, nobody else but Philly Joe Jones. So here is Blue Mitchell's version of Benny Golson's Blues March to wrap up this final January edition of The Jazz Show.
Thank you. 
as they march off into the sunset. All right. That was Blue Mitchell from an album called Big Six, and uh, it featured a whole bunch of people. Mr. Mitchell on trumpet, leading the exuberant Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Winton Kelly at the piano, Wilbur Ware on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums, and that was Benny Golson's great composition called Blues March. So that's it for the jazz show, and as I mentioned before, next month is the beginning of Black History Month, and all our jazz features in February will have some connection with black history, and um, we will continue to bring you some of the very best in jazz music right here on CITR FM 101.9, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory out at UBC, and also on your computer, www.citr.ca. On behalf of uh, CITR and The Jazz Show and myself, Gavin Walker, we'll see you next month. And um, enjoy the warm, damp week because that's coming up in the weather. So take care, and we'll see you in seven days' time in the month of February. Bye-bye for now.
Thank you.